What is up, everybody? This is Ryan with Scale Up Show. I have Justin Clegg on today. He is going from zero to $1 million in a year. He's a four-time founder, and his company is invested by the same investors that invested in Netflix, DoorDash, and Uber. Something amazing that he walks through is how to get funding from investors like that in a week, and also creating a framework for a repeatable startup flywheel of revenue growth. You're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Justin Clegg. Justin is the founder and CEO at Allset. He is a four-time founder, is entrepreneurial-minded, founded three Silicon Valley startups, and was selected by The Guardian as a rising star in AI and conversational startups. Also, Justin used to work at Fortune 500 software companies, including Intel, Oracle, and Adobe. Justin, welcome, man. Happy to have you on the show, dude. Ryan, thanks for having me today, and good to be here, and hello to all of your listeners. Yeah, dude. Um, uh, I'm, I'm excited based on kind of what we talked about before, because A, I mean, you know, this is your fourth time founding a company. So you are definitely cut from a different cloth to make that a reality, not just to do it, not just to want to take it on, but to uh, to be successful and to get to your fourth time. So props to you, man, for, for making that happen. Thanks. Uh, lots to learn and uh, excited to share uh, the little insights uh, that I can on the show today. Yeah. So let's get started. Let's give everybody a real quick understanding of kind of where you're at in the journey and we'll do a real quick revenue rundown. So can you just give me kind of a revenue range on where you're at and in, in the process of growing the company? Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, uh, this is my fourth uh, venture back startup um, focusing uh, today on home services and uh, we're building tools uh, for communications and payments uh, for underserved home service businesses today. Uh, our company is on a trajectory to grow from zero to a million in annual recurring revenue uh, by end of year. Uh, so nice. moving very quickly, uh, seeing about 110% month over month growth today. Wow, that's awesome. Especially that early. That's one of the hardest parts is getting that massive growth early on. So what's your primary go to market strategy? Yeah, so uh, we think about go-to-market in a few different ways. Number one, uh, we have a really strong capital-efficient sales team. Uh, Utah is predominantly known for uh, really humble, hungry, hardworking sales individuals uh, who come from backgrounds in uh, serving you know, missions for the LDS Church. Uh, they've spent time uh, doing door-to-door sales you know, with things like security or pest control. Uh, and so there's this real hustle um, and grit in terms of uh, understanding how to communicate with people, how to sell. Um, you know, I, I personally served a mission in Africa, and selling religion is the hardest product in the world to sell <laughs> at times. Uh, and so uh, if you can learn you know, to, to kind of understand uh, that approach, then you can get into a point where uh, selling software you know, becomes a huge opportunity. And so uh, that's kind of our number one focus is build a really strong capital efficient team in Utah. We do about 200 text message based demos per week. Uh, so we'll call a customer, uh, we'll say, hey, would you like to see how this thing works? Uh, can we send you a quick text? They'll say, sure. And uh, so demos are a big part of what we do. We also attend a lot of trade shows, Ryan. So we'll spend time in states you know, like 
Florida or Texas or you know Nashville that can be predominantly central. And uh, you have trade shows and conferences where uh, you know leaders and individuals who want to learn uh, and invest in themselves and in their business and in software are attending. Uh, they're looking for tools to run and grow their business. All set meets them there. Uh, so a lot of face to face. Uh, and then finally, just doing things like this, right? Uh, meeting with great people on podcasts, uh, doing a ton of uh, networking and, and investing in digital channels uh, to be able to uh, build our, you know, sort of performance marketing presence. But those are a few of our, our go-to-market approaches today. Love that, ma'am. So how large is your team? We have a team of eight uh, full-time employees today uh, and excited to grow and scale that out. Uh, it's not uncommon, you know, as you see, uh, the growth trajectory that we're on to go from, you know, eight to 200 over the course of, you know, the next year, year and a half. So we expect to scale very quickly in Utah. We're very bullish on the Utah ecosystem. Uh, it's a great place to, you know, start a family. It's a great place to run a business. And uh, we're seeing a number of uh, really exciting companies uh, enter the ecosystem uh, and some really uh, big exits as well. So it's a great place to build a company and uh, you know, a little different than uh, what I used to do in Silicon Valley. So happy to be in Utah. That's awesome, man. Uh, and then you kind of walk through your your solution. Uh, you mentioned your your venture backed as well, correct? Is that like from we are? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So we have uh, leading investors who've uh, invested in companies like Uber, uh, Netflix, and DoorDash. Um, so Allset's positioned to become one of the fastest growing uh, startups in Utah uh, and hopefully in the U.S. Um, and so we'd, we'd like to become a household name in the home services space. But the investors that we work with uh, are sharp, they're operators, uh, and really grateful to, to have them uh, have our backs today. Yeah, I'd say so. I think that's that's a hell of a track record. So how, how did you get the attention of those investors and, and like how did this all come about? Yeah, good question. Um, I think during the pandemic, you know, we saw a huge transition in fundraising uh, from in-person, you know, where you're typically traveling to Menlo Park, you're on Sand Hill Road, um, or, you know, University Avenue. Uh, and it's, you know, traditionally, it's face-to-face, you know, you're meeting with an associate, a general partner, um, and you're spending time diving into the details of the business in person. During the pandemic, we saw uh, a huge focus of capital moving away from Silicon Valley and actually getting invested into uh, sort of tier two and tier three markets. Uh, You know, for example, uh, Dallas or Denver or, you know, Lehigh, Utah or Salt Lake. And uh, because of that influx of capital, I think Utah saw 3 billion uh, in venture capital pour into the state just last year alone. And uh, so I think there was just a strong appetite to find uh, overlooked founders, overlooked companies, uh, who were building and have the ability to scale up business models um, and execute, uh, you know, strong companies uh, outside of, you know, a, a rather expensive, you know, ecosystem like uh, Silicon Valley or, or even Southern California. So uh, we, uh, you know, I was lucky to spend my the earlier part of my career uh, living in Palo Alto, uh, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. Uh, so I've, you know, been lucky to make some really strong and great connections and build trust with sort of the, the VC community in California and the Bay Area, uh, and then have since kind of brought that to to Utah, where uh, we're excited to continue to grow and, and build the ecosystem. You know, out out a uh, I'd call it east uh, if we're from California, but still on the West Coast here. 
<laughs> so did you like, cause I think that's super interesting. And I, I didn't realize there was that much investment in the Utah market. So I think that's, that's a sharp distinction. I've, I've heard a lot of growth there. Um, the question I have for you though, is, was this someone like, obviously you have a track record, right? If you're a three-time founder, you've made it happen. I want to get into that in a second, but like, did you have these people in your personal network? Did you do a cold outreach? How did you acquire the attention? Specifically? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it's a few things. Um, you know, number one, uh, the fundraising process, uh, it's very distracting. It's a time consuming, uh, it's time away from building the business, uh, building product and focusing on true customer acquisition. And so, uh, frankly, we try to spend as little time as possible, you know, in the fundraising process. Uh, but when we do, uh, it's simply just sending a signal, you know, to the investors in our network, uh, saying, Hey, you know, we're going to be launching this product soon. Uh, we attended a demo day, um, with, uh, an accelerator, uh, program out of, uh, Palo Alto, um, at which point, you know, I think we were one of 10 companies that were selected for the entire year to go and present. Uh, we presented in front of an audience, you know, of uh, one to 2,000 investors, uh, which then gets broadcasted. Uh, and then from that point, that, that's kind of your signal that says, hey, uh, All Set is launching. Uh, we are, you know, going to be, uh, you know, building and moving very quickly uh, for those who'd like to be a part of our, our story, uh, our cap table. Uh, let's have conversations. And then we typically reduce that fundraising process to about a week. Um, so it's very, you know, intensive. Uh, you know, we'll do uh, ba- basically, you know, 90, 100 hour uh, week in that week. Uh, and you're just meeting back to back. But all of that to reduce distraction, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, share a story quickly and find investors who want to act quickly with conviction and see see what we're doing and building so and how did you get selected as 10 you know one of the 10 to present in front of 2000 people like 2000 of your target um investors i should say potential yeah a uh, good question um I, I think you know obviously there's an application process there's a vetting process um you know it's the job of you know associates and sort of early team members at at bc firms to uh, go out and source uh, deals and find deal flow. Uh, and so I think just putting ourselves out there, our brand, our company story, um, having, you know, sort of founder market fit, I think can be helpful uh, in terms of uh, being a subject matter expert in your particular industry or area of focus. And then, you know, being kind of the only, uh, you know, team or individual uh, that can really focus and execute the best for that particular area. Um, and so, uh, th- those I think are, are things that, you know, we would go through in a standard vetting process. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, of course, lots of luck involved in getting and positioning yourself to, to have those conversations. Um, and then from that point, uh, you know, just taking those opportunities and seizing them, um, you know, when you get uh, a large audience or you get, uh, you know, to be associated with a really strong accelerator program. Uh, those are signals to the rest of the VC community that, hey, this is a serious company uh, that's excited to to scale up. And did you do this multiple times? Did you did you apply to multiple um, programs or just one? And then you got in. Um, we spoke to two accelerator programs uh, and then made a, a very intentional decision to choose one over the other. And that was mostly based on like the size of the cohort. 
Um, one of the op- opportunities we had, I think they're accepting like 400 companies. Uh, the other was accepting 10 and is kind of up and coming. And so uh, that that was definitely more attractive to us given we'd get more attention and resources and, and time. Dude, that is one of the, like, this is why I love doing this show. Because like, I did not expect <laughs> to have any kind of conversation with you on this whatsoever. And just out of natural curiosity, I'm like, okay, I wonder how, we, okay, Netflix, or how, do you, how do you get that attention? Like, right? And so yeah, here's what, here's what I would say. Awesome work because like, I've heard, and I'm telling you this, so you have perspective, you give yourself a pat on the back when, as soon as you get off the call, but um, <laughs> I've heard that they, the average fundraising process is, this is for someone who their company provides, you know, basically investor match, all this stuff, right? So they've seen tons and tons of investment cycles is nine months is what I hear, right? And then to take it one step further, they're like, oh yeah, well, you can get it done in three months if you hire a COO to basically handle the bulkier responsibilities so you could do that. But you like flip the model on side its head is like, hey, <laughs> this is my audience. I'm going to go present to them. I'm going to find a way to make that happen. Then you did that. And then I love the fact that you can press basically what the average sales. I don't want to say a sales cycle, but the average investment cycle is nine months <laughs> in a week. So I think that's absolutely awesome. Um, no, I appreciate it. And while we're on the topic of fundraising, I guess just a couple of caveats for, for the listeners and, and those on the show. Um, fundraising is not for everyone, right? And I think some people have kind of this mental model that uh, in order to go build a successful business, I need to go take, you know, investor money or go raise capital. Um, the, the truth is, uh, you know, you have to have one, uh, a very strong uh, conviction and believe in the idea in the company that you're building. Um, number two, uh, you have to have customers, right, who are, uh, you know, willing to pay for the service. And you have to be in a really, you know, attractive market that is large uh, enough, you know, for investors to get excited about. Uh, but, you know, you have to remember for every dollar you take, you know, there are strings attached, right? And there are expectations. And our expectation is, you know, from, from investors, it's whether it's unspoken or, or not, uh, is to be a 10x, you know, plus return company. And, uh, you know, that, that means, you know, you need to be able to, uh, to, to grow and expand um, and scale out a company uh, much faster. So there are pros, right? You're, you're able to accelerate, you're able to hire a team and bring on, you know, extremely uh, strong talent quickly. Uh, but the downside is, you know, that you are giving up dilution and you're giving up equity in your company and ownership. Uh, and there's different types of investors out there, right? You have folks that are strong operators who can provide the capital, but then also can give you the time, which is in many times is, in many ways is more valuable than the capital itself. Then you have investors who uh, provide the capital and no time (laughs) and, you know, just say, Hey, here, here's money, go grow it. Uh, And then the third, uh, which I think can be very dangerous at times is you'll find investors who, you know, can provide some capital or no capital at all, but then they just provide bad advice uh, and they can send the company in a, a totally different direction. So, just caveat, I think, to our listeners is um, fundraising is not for everybody. Uh, it does not make or break a successful company. Um, we've seen companies, even in the recent months, that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars that have just shut down. Um, and then we've seen companies that have bootstrapped completely. You know, they've never taken a, a dollar of outside capital, you know, like IE MailChimp, you know, out of Atlanta uh, that can grow and, and scale and have, you know, really interesting and successful outcomes. So, uh, do what's right for for your business, for your company. Um, and I think just get feedback, right? Find mentors, uh, speak to people uh, about 
you know, what, what the purpose of that capital would do, um, and then be intentional about how it's going to be allocated and spent, um, you know, to be able to solve uh, the problems uh, that your customers are looking for you to solve. So who are your mentors? Ooh, uh, good question. We, you know, I, I've had uh, a lot of, I think, really exciting um, and, and interesting mentors. Uh, you know, when you live in the Bay Area, you get, you know, exposure to a, a high number of uh, tech leaders, tech executives, um, you know, from companies like uh, Google, Salesforce, LinkedIn. And so, um, you know, the mentors that, that have uh, I've been lucky to work with um, are folks who've been, you know, former founders, former operators, uh, you know, even a, co- a former co-founder uh, of mine uh, ha- had a very uh, exciting, you know, 10x return uh, on his recent startup. So, um, you know, I think it's it's people who have executed, you know, who can, uh, you know, walk, you know, walk the talk, if you will, um, and people who have, uh, you know, spent time uh, actually doing the work themselves uh, are folks that all I'll work with. Sorry if that's very vague, uh, but uh, yeah, exciting names, I'd say. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Uh, so, okay. So awesome. I, I think you're dropping bombs already and we're only, you know, 16 minutes in. So <laughs> I gotta, I gotta make sure I, we, we, uh, we keep rolling here cause there's, there's a lot more to come. <clears throat> so walk us through your journey on how you got here. You know, this is the fourth time doing it. You're fourth time doing it. And I got, I, I feel like with this, this time it's something different. It's a little more personal. If you were living in Silicon Valley, you did that and you keep talking about, it sounds like you're coming home, right? Like Utah is your home that, you know, you did the missions, you did the door to door thing. And so you're, and this, you never, we've never even talked about this. You're nodding though. So I'm, I'm assuming I'm going down the right path. And this is like, you want to fulfill your mission or your purpose. And that's why you're coming back home and trying to help people door to door that a lot of times make the transition from being a mission on a mission to door to door salespeople. Am I right on that? Yeah, uh, th- there's a ton of crossover uh, between that that type of work and and really just overall sales. So uh, we're we're all in the business of sales, uh, independent of whether you're you know an engineer, or a product leader, uh, in customer success, sales, marketing, um, and uh, you know sales is is a part of uh, business. You know, and it it truly can solve all problems uh, in many ways. Well, so I mean, I um I don't we didn't talk about this before, but one of my first jobs was going door to door selling yellow page advertising and I'm not a hundred years old. It was uh, in college. It was for <laughs> like a college yellow book uh, for Northwestern university actually. Right. And um, awesome. that's, that's character building. That's like hard work. One of my buddies um, who's a VP at Oracle right now, which is one of the places that you're at. Um, he used to go door to door selling books um, and had to do that. So walk us through your journey though, like how you got, how you got to this point um, in terms of your journey and then what you learned along the way from those previous three startups? Yeah, so I think if, if I could summarize the, the path and the journey, 
Um, it's, you know, I started at big tech companies. Uh, you mentioned a few names um, earlier in the show. Uh, and I think uh, it was gaining ground level experience, right? To understand how to communicate, you know, how to operate, uh, how to handle uh, in some ways, you know, the hierarchy and, and structure uh, and government, you know, of a large, you know, Fortune 500 organization. Um, and I think all of those experiences were meaningful and exciting. Uh, but I also, you know, learned to, uh, when you're living in Silicon Valley, look, you're, you're surrounded by startups and, uh, you know, folks are always looking to, to build launch, uh, ideas. So I started surrounding myself with individuals, uh, who were executing on startups, you know, who were raising money, who were part of accelerator programs. And I think in doing that, uh, that, that allowed, uh, doors to open up to understand, uh, that there are, you know, new and unique and novel concepts that are groundbreaking, you know, whether that's in on-demand delivery or, uh, you know, consumer messaging or um, just looking at markets that, you know, had never really been tapped into, whether that's like 3D printing in space or, you know, healthcare or maritime or trucking or home services. And so uh, I I think, you know, I was very um, just naive, one, and then very optimistic uh, about what the world could become. Uh, in, in terms of just building, launching, and scaling solutions. And so I think a part of that is aligning you know, your vision and focus uh, with customer pain points that they're willing to pay you to solve. Um, and if you can prove that, you know, the, the feeling of getting a first customer you know, who literally pulls out their credit card and says, okay, go fix this for me or solve it, uh, can be uh, a really you know, powerful feeling. Um, and I think that's something that uh, I, I've kind of grown a flywheel for, and you know, I've, I've built a team uh, that uh, I think is just as excited about solving customer problems and pain points. Um, so I, I think hopefully that kind of touches on the journey. But uh, to keep things concise, uh, led uh, as head of growth and product for a number of venture-backed startups uh, before then going off and starting my own. Um, I focused on everything from you know uh, restaurant and retail to uh, emergency communications uh, to uh, even kind of building uh, startup studios where you look at a studio model uh, where it's building and deploying a number of startups from within the same house uh, and then putting capital and resources behind uh, the most successful iterations uh, of those products internally. So uh, th- those are just a few, I think, parts to the journey, but um, overall just trying to stay optimistic and, and always stay learning. So That's cool. Um so I want to dig into that because, you know, I always I get intrigued by, by folks that that have been head of growth. And I, like I said, I've always been head of sales. So, you know, every strength has a weakness, every weakness has a strength. And, and so I love to hear, you know, the flywheel that you said you, you've developed. Like, let's deconstruct that, like walk us through exactly what that looks like, um, you know, from start to finish. Yeah, uh, so. You know, in terms of growth, uh, it can be a very broad or nebulous role. Um, you know, what are you growing? Uh, who is growing? Uh, you know, what are we talking about? And I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to, you know, can you um, identify key activities that impact uh, sales and revenue? Um, and so whether that's uh, customer acquisition, whether that's through product-led growth, where you're building out uh, tools um, and web-based experiences that allow people to experience the product for themselves, uh, you know, via a a trial or just accessing and seeing the product first uh, before making that initial step and investment um, 
and committing to the product. Um, and then it's thinking about, you know, I love Paul Graham and, you know, kind of the do things that don't scale uh, model that, that he speaks about. Um, there are things that make absolutely zero sense um, in the early days. So to give you a quick story, I was tasked uh, to help an on-demand delivery company, you know, go and get, you know, 150 drivers. Uh, this is pre uh, DoorDash. This is pre, you know, uh, you know, kind of Uber Eats, if you will. Um, and so, you know, I'm living in Palo Alto and, uh, you know, how do you go find 150 on-demand drivers? Well, go start with people who are doing the driving today. Uh, so we had Uber, we had Lyft. So I'd personally call them, uh, you know, from my phone. Uh, I'd have them drive up to my house in Palo Alto. Uh, I'd get in the back of the car and then I'd have them just drive around the block. And so in about five minutes, you spend time pitching them, uh, on your new product or service. Uh, and then convincing them, hey, would you like to come and be a driver, you know, for our platform? Um, it pays, you know, X, Y, Z. Uh, here are the benefits. Here's the perks. Uh, here's the link to sign up, right? And all of that's done in a five-minute pitch. So now you multiply that by 150 times. That's certainly labor-intensive. It doesn't scale. Um, but those are, you know, ways where, okay, now we could come back to the team and say, we have 150 drivers uh, to go and, and help, you know, with delivery. Uh, you know, throughout the Bay Area. And so I, I think um, that is, I think, one way to think about growth. Um, it's press, it's PR, um, you know, it's getting the, the business and the name and the brand in front of uh, the right folks. But at the end of the day, it all just has to tie back to revenue. Um, are you significantly impacting, you know, the monthly recurring revenue or annual recurring revenue of the business? Um, and in doing so, uh, you know, does that you know, are there referral programs that can be built? Um, and, you know, can, can the business continue to, to scale up uh, from there? So those are just some thoughts around growth. But uh, to summarize, it's, it's do things that don't scale uh, and tie yourself to revenue. Okay, so I'm processing here. So let, let's, let's talk about what you're doing now, right? So you're going from zero to one in a year. All right. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. and, and I want you to share anything that's confidential, right? But like, that's awesome. And most people don't do that. So like zero to one, you know, what, what's a four or five step framework or, or strategy or process that you would use to do that when you were sitting down and you're like, we're going to do this. We're going to go to a million in a year. Yeah. Number one, I, I think is the hardest part. And I think it's, you know, build a good product, like build something people want. Um, and that, that can take time. Uh, in sort of startup land, we'll, we'll talk about this as like this drunken walk that takes place. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, it, it's a drunken walk of, you know, listening to customers, going back and iterating on your product, uh, you know, showing them, showing those changes to customers, getting feedback and all doing that in a very quick process uh, without, you know, burning too much time or capital. Um, and then, you know, we call that really product market fit. And so product market fit, I think the, the, the formal definition is that, you know, 40% uh, of your customers uh, would be upset if your product no longer existed. You know, they'd be highly frustrated. Uh, we could say that maybe about Zoom or Slack, right, today. Uh, if we stopped using those in, in our businesses, um, you know, it would be very painful. We'd have to go back to email and, you know, other tools. So I think the, the search for product market fit can take time. And I think it, it can take, you know, founders and startups anywhere from six months, if they're lucky, you know, up to 18 to 24 months. 
And so, uh, number one, going into a business, you know, should always be about, uh, you know, writing code, uh, building product and listening to your customers. Uh, and there's really nothing more important than that in those early stages. And that feedback is critical. So, uh, getting on the phone, uh, asking them, you know, why did they sign up? You know, what are you looking to do? Uh, what problem are you trying to solve? And I think that ties into a lot of like the Clayton Christensen, you know, jobs to be done theory where it's, Hey, uh, you know, what job, uh, is, you know, your product trying to solve for, what is it trying to do? Uh, and then I think once you understand that and then can align that to the customer's needs, now you have that product market fit, uh, where they truly can't live without your product, um, or, they don't want to go back to a world where your product doesn't exist um, anymore. And so uh, I think those are kind of early thoughts uh, at, at those early stages. And then it just becomes a question of how quickly can you get that product to market and how do you do that in a way that is capital efficient and uh, scalable? So, you know, you have to look at things like your customer acquisition cost. Uh, you have to look at your sales cycle. You know, if you're selling into uh, small businesses, you know, a healthy sales cycle or exciting is, you know, seven to 14 days. Um, I think at all set ours is five to seven days, uh, our nice. typical sales cycle. And then, uh, you know, you have, uh, things like, you know, what is the annual contract value, right. Of that business? How long will you expect them to stay there? Uh, you know, what is your customer payback? And so I think there's a lot of metrics that you can quickly start to understand. How does your funnel look right? Uh, are you able to attract leads quickly? Um, are those leads converting? And if so, at what percentage? Um, you know, are you doing demos you know, for those businesses and prospects? And so I think it all just becomes about you know, quantifying uh, these funnels uh, in your process around, uh, again, deploying product, talking to customers, uh, and then starting early sales motions and proving that you can get a sales motion that, that works, uh, that... Uh, you know, it is successfully selling and growing revenue. And I think from that point, then you can start to scale and put fire on it and, you know, build, build a much larger inside sales team. I got like close to like 10 points. So I'll play those back to you. So <laughs> super, super quick. Uh, I like the drunken walk analogy. I've never really heard that before, but I think that's cool. So it's, it's a quick process to get the product market fit. Um, you know, trying to get to 30% where you have highly frustrated customers that could take six to 24 months. Next step is continuing listening to customers, then getting feedback on why do they sign up, what problem they want to solve, right? And then how quickly can you, I don't want to say weaponize it because that has a negative connotation to it. And <laughs> negative, yeah, negative thought to it. I'll, I'll say that, right? Um, but how quickly can you get that product to market technically? Uh, identifying and watching your CAC, your sales cycle length, ACV pipeline, and then conversions. And then the one I added at the end is like, NRR, right? How, you, how do you keep that NRR growing, right? And, and make sure yes. that that's a healthy number. Um, rinse and repeat and multiply, right? Did I, did I cover it all? Is that? Yeah, well, well said. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're the one's better, man. I'm just, I'm just repeating no. it. I'm just putting it down in notes, repeating it, and then I added NRR. <laughs> so I'll take credit for that. But um, that was awesome. That was a really, really great way to nail that down. So um, we're just about up on time. I guess one of the questions that I have for you is, is what is your single biggest challenge that you run into as a startup? Um, and I, that might be loaded, but let's say from zero to one and then like one to 10, what, what would you say are the, the single biggest problems in those stages that you see? 
Um, you know, I, I would say uh, the biggest problem, it's twofold, uh, focus and prioritization. There are so many uh, different avenues um, that we can, you know, look at uh, in terms of how we build our business, the way that we build our product, the type of customers that we speak to. Um, you know, we are building a, a business today for home services. Uh, and then we have kind of out of left field, uh, a world renowned uh, hotel company that, you know, uh, approaches us and says, hey, is there a way that we can fit your product into what we're doing in the hospitality space? And so we all kind of scratch our heads and say, uh, that's awesome. Um, but, you know, what are we going to do? Right. And uh, you quickly learn, wow, uh, there is opportunity. However, uh, when we focus, we win. Right. And if we choose to take our limited, you know, eight person team and resources and focus on those on a completely new vertical or market, uh, we run the risk of, of impacting our existing customer base um, and losing focus and deprioritizing their needs. Um, and so it, it's kind of focusing on the right customer at the right time, number one. Uh, and then two, the second challenge is, you know, how do you prioritize, uh, you know, the roadmap? What do customers need most? Um, whose uh, opinion, you know, it, it matters the most? Um, how do you segment uh, a customer base uh, and spend time thinking about kind of that Pareto principle of the 80-20, you know, where 20% of our customers are going to have, you know, uh, the highest impact on our revenue over the kind of remaining 80%. And how do you build for their needs and uh, serve as a champion to them uh, and give them a white glove experience, you know, from a customer support and success standpoint. So, uh, yeah, I think just to recap, it's it's focus uh, and prioritization is the hardest at this stage because there's so many great things that we can go do, uh, but we just have limited time and resources. That's awesome. I think that's a, a great way to end it because I, I agree. Yeah, I think focus and prioritization, which is like, you know, there's an abundance of opportunity, especially if you have something that solves a lot of problems. So it's like what order and when, because, yeah, they can literally lead to your, your downfall if you try and grab too much. So, um, yeah, be- become an expert in, in one area. Uh, build one thing very well, make that your core product uh, and, and then go and execute on that and then allow that to create a springboard into additional products or features. Um, so yeah, uh, it's a, hopefully uh, s- some useful insights for our conversation today. Dude, you crushed it today. I love this interview. Not what I expected at all, but those are sometimes the best interviews. <laughs> you did an awesome job of everywhere from the beginning to you know kind of the, the whole makeup, how to get investors. I wasn't expecting that. And who gets an investor in a week from uh, the same people that do Netflix and, and DoorDash? I mean, come on, that that's pretty freaking cool. So um, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Allset? And then we'll wrap it up. Yeah, so our website is tryallset.com. Uh, so folks can look us up on the web. You can schedule a demo. Uh, and then feel free to reach out to me directly. Uh, it's justin uh, at allsethq.com. I'm happy to answer questions uh, about... Uh, our process as we're running and building and growing our company. Fantastic, man. It was a pleasure having you on the show. You did an amazing job. And I look forward to seeing you all in the next episode. Thanks for having me on the, the show, Ryan, and uh, appreciate the time. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering 
in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.